0: Iron Reven X and alongside me today, we got newlywed aka Grizzlies Titans and coolest dude on the planet, Biggie AKA Ethan Tate. How you doing today, Ethan?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm alright. Just trying to get my life in order. A lot of packing, but packing and everything is gonna have to wait, and you wanna know why? Because it is WrestleMania weekend which means we got our wrestlemania predictions coming your way also we're going to recap nxt takeover which in my opinion was pretty amazing we're going to look at the nfl draft give our takes on the top five picks as well as the impact that the sam Darnold trade to the carolina panthers has on the upcoming draft and with regards to the nba we are going to talk if it is time for the minnesota timberwolves to blow up the Wolf Pack. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the Export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast, our YouTube channel entitled The Extraport. So to start things off, got two things, of course, to promote. First off, be sure to check out my post um, post-free agency mock draft, which is on the website, of course. And another article that I just posted earlier this week, which was the 2020. NFL redraft I look at the first round of last year's draft see what changes teams would make if they had the opportunity if they had the knowledge that they had now which teams would keep their original first round picks and which ones would change it so Ethan based off everything we saw last year out of this last group of rookies if it were up to you like excluding the players you actually think would have been there at 29 who would you have wanted to add to the Titans a year ago
1: so, I could just add any player. Anybody. Any rookie. Hmm.
0: Because I feel like you take anybody over Isaiah Wilson.
1: Ah, oh, for sure. Uh, being honest, I would probably go with Justin Jefferson. Because, yes, I know Corey Davis had an amazing year. But he's, he's gone now. And if you were able to add another 1,000-yard receiver in Justin Jefferson, pairing that with A.J. Brown, deals for at a minimum probably three or four years so they could be those they could be two key top guy wide receivers that could be in your on the outside for like the next two or three maybe four years and you also have dead gary so it's like the offense would be sick i probably defensively uh it would be kind of hard because in my opinion it was if anything, I would add Antoine Winfield, Jr., as far as defense, because I feel like we, like Kevin Bayard's good, but we didn't really have that many, we didn't have great safety help outside of that. He didn't have as productive as the season as he's had in his past, but Kenny Beccaro, he's not on the team anymore, and it, it's big reason why his play wasn't up to par. But I would have definitely add probably one of those two dudes.
0: I can dig it. Well, good thing Baltimore picks before you because I definitely was going to say Justin Jefferson. LSU player, hell, the best rookie year out of the 2020 class, broke Randy Moss's rookie record, which, I mean, if that doesn't tell you anything. I mean, Jay Jettis was insane last year. And just everybody knows Baltimore needs a number one receiver and I would have just loved to see him donning the black and purple. So definitely Justin Jefferson. And then defensively, I mean, honestly, I'm fine with us getting Patrick Queen. Patrick Queen was great for us last year. I mean, if you ask me he was the best defensive rookie in the AFC. I mean, of course, going up against cats like Chase Young, who was a real, pretty much the heart of Washington's defense, and then Jeremy Chan, who did everything. I mean, it would have been tough for him to really kind of break through the top two. But, I mean, I love what Patrick Queen gave us. We desperately need a linebacker. I mean, especially with C.J. Mosley gone. So, I'm good with us getting Patrick Queen, and Jay Jettis just would have been a great addition. But, all right, now let's look ahead at this year's NFL draft. So, Ethan... With the first overall pick, do you see the um, Jacksonville Jaguars going any other direction besides getting Trevor Lawrence?
1: I honestly don't because Trevor Lawrence, at least for the time being, he's he's showing the signs of being a transcendent talent at quarterback. Apparently, if I'm not mistaken, he's been the highest rated talent prospect and quarterback since Andrew Luck, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And... Everyone knows that regardless of whatever else you have around your team, if you have a if you have a great quarterback, you can cover up for a lot of flaws. I.e., look at the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. Over the past couple of years, they've had a lot of flaws. Some years it was on the defensive side. Other years it was on the offensive side. But the same thing that remains the same was Aaron Rodgers, and he covered up for a lot of it with his plate. So I think you can not pass up on the best quarterback in the draft.
0: Yep, agree with you there. Urban Meyer has pretty much already kind of set in stone that that was the decision that they were going to be making. So yeah, that was an easy one. Now number two, the New York Jets just traded Sam Donald, which we'll get to next. Um, but do you? I'm saying I think it's going to be Zach Wilson out of a uh, BYU. Are you in agreement? Yeah,
1: I'm in agreement. I think that he, uh, recently going into these draft, he had some questions around his own. Not necessarily his talent level, but the fact that he played against subpar talent, like, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, they played against the best of the best in one of the better conferences in college football, and Zach Wilson, he really didn't play against top tier talent, but I think after seeing his production on the field and then his pro day, like, his pro day drove his stock up extremely, so I think he's definitely going number two overall to the Jets.
0: All right agreeance again all right number three the san francisco 49ers we talked about it last week traded up to the third overall pick switching with the miami dolphins we pretty much have an idea of it's going to be a quarterback but which one will it be right now i think i'm leaning more towards mac jones i don't think he's better than justin fields but i think that no quarterback has really had their stock rise as much since the end of last season since mac jones john lynch and kyle shanahan were there for his pro day they got to see him work up close and personal. Um, they're going to be attending Justin Fields' second pro day, which could change minds. But as of right now, I'm going to say Mac.
1: Uh, me personally, I'm going to say Justin Fields. I think that he provides some things that Mac Jones doesn't provide. Like Mac Jones, he's more of a traditional pocket passer. And in today's game, you kind of need those those hybrid quarterbacks. to the Russell Wilson's, the Deshaun Watsons, the Aaron Rodgers, you need those, the Patrick Mahomes. You need those guys that can make plays outside of the pocket. And I think that um Justin Fields is the right guy for that type of system. He can bring a different element than Meg Jones. He can make plays with his legs. He ran like a four for one forty in his pro day. So I think me personally, I think they should go with Justin Fields.
0: All right, moving on to the Atlanta Falcons, another team that could be in discussion a quarterback honestly i'm a bit torn as to what i think they do reports are coming out now that they're probably going to trade out which would make a lot of sense but if they do stand packed i could see them getting justin fields grooming him for the future um because let's be honest Matt Ryan is on borrowed time once a quarterback gets older than 35 and he's not putting up you know numbers such as an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees and their team isn't making the playoffs it's safe to say that your days are numbered so I got Justin Fields
1: I think this is where it honestly is upon who the people beforehand because if the 49ers, if they take Justin Fields, I believe that the Falcons will go Matt Jones. Because like you said, Matt Ryan's on borrowed time. He's older. He's an older quarterback now. He's not putting up the same production that he's put up in previous seasons. And I think that you have to, at least while you have a chance to bring in a, a decent replacement and coach him up for at least a year, because I feel like regardless of whoever they draft, if they don't trade Matt Ryan, they're going to see and hold the clipboard for at least a year, maybe half a year at most, at least, till they touch the field. And I think that it hinges, like, you know, San Fran goes to Mac Jones. I see Atlanta taking Justin Fields. If they go Justin Fields, I see them taking Mac Jones. But I definitely see them taking a quarterback. It's just a question of which one. And they also could potentially just throw out the wild card and take Kyle Pitts.
0: Yeah, which I think would be a good idea. All right, let's go ahead. Move on to the fifth overall pick, the Cincinnati Bengals. The question has kind of been raging now: Do they go offensive lineman, or do they get another weapon for Joe? Ethan, what say you?
1: What say me? I say they should be a tackle Penay Sewell out of Oregon. He his tape is amazing. I watched him his tape last night, oddly enough, before I went to bed, and I think that yes, adding weapons for Joe Burrow. Is a great idea, but if you can't protect your quarterback, having extra weapons it defeats the purpose because you need you need time for those weapons to get open, especially if you are going to try to add dynamic playmakers that make plays down the field. You need time for those routes to develop downfield. So I will go off. In, I will go for that soon.
0: See, I have been banging that drum as well. Mainly because I'm a huge Joe Burrow fan, and I don't like seeing him getting knocked around. And that man got knocked around last year. Even the plays that he didn't get hurt. Think of Malik Jackson in that Eagles game. Clocked that man. And even though he bounced back from it, I mean, it was tough. The Chase Young hit um prior to the uh, injury in that game. I mean, he's taken a lot of hits. So I would bang the drum on getting protection. However, I feel like they're going to think more of, Let's create a great offense, which I understand. I th- I don't remember who said it, but it was like, um. Oh my gosh, trying to think of a quote. It was like, get your offensive line to average, so your offense can be great, which makes sense because I mean, I think they get Jamar Chase. You have that relationship with Joe Burrow already. We already saw the crazy numbers that the two put together put together in 2019, and even though. I'm not sold on their offensive line right now. It makes a lot of sense as to bring in a Jamar Chase as opposed to a cat like a Kyle Pitts because he doesn't already have that chemistry with Joe. So I feel like if it was a conversation between Pitts and Sewell, Sewell I would go Sewell. But I think that with Jamar Chase in the picture, I think it ends up being Jamar. But all right, let's go ahead and talk about that Sam Darnold trade. The incumbent uh, New York Jets quarterback was traded to the Carolina Panthers earlier in this week for a 2021 sixth-round pick, 2022 second-round pick, and a 2022 fourth-round pick. So, Ethan, how do you like this trade for both parties? Um, honestly, I like, as far as the Sam
1: Donna aspect of it, I love it for him because he's going to be thirsting to an offense that has – um, Christian McCaffrey, um Robbie Anderson. They don't have Curtis Samuel anymore, but I forgot their wide receiver too. DJ play, Moore, I believe. Yeah, these are more They so, still
0: got C Mac. Yeah, so these are the best weapons that he's ever gonna have in his career. And
1: he's also going to from the science of it, he's gonna be instilled in a system where his coach isn't going to be fired right after this season, like um, Matt Rule, he he did a decent job with Carolina. Like he did better than I thought they were going to do. And I think that he's a very talented guy. And you, if you're able to instill him in a structured system, which I believe Matt Rule would be able to do, you're probably going to see the best out of Sam Darnold in the in his brief NFL career. And as far as the Jets, I think that. They honestly got what they probably were going to be able to get for them. You know, I don't think that – I know for a fact that we're never going to be able to get a warrant for Sam Darnold, And, like, getting all those extra picks, it just helps them out because the thing of it is, is, in the NFL draft, you can find diamonds in a rough at any point in the draft. It's not like the NBA. A lot of the NBA, once you get past the, the first-round guys – it's a major drop-off. You can find guys that can produce in the sixth and fourth round of of drafts in the NFL. So I think it, it was a good trade for both parties. I do have a question as to if that was all that the Carolina Panthers gave up, why didn't the Chicago Bears make that move? Because they have a greater quarterback need, in my opinion, than Carolina. Yes, Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater – he isn't particularly their quarterback of the future, but he's a better place placeholder quarterback instead of right now than what the Chicago Bears have.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that because we've been hearing rumblings about him potentially getting traded. I know another team, a couple of teams that I heard about him getting traded to were Denver and San Francisco. So I kind of wonder what fell apart with those two moves. But, I mean, that is a good question about the Bears. I mean, I guess – They do trust Andy Dalton for a year, which, I mean, good luck with that. So, maybe that was the reason. I mean, I could still see them getting a quarterback potentially. I don't think first round, but later on in the draft. But, uh, yeah, looking at it from Sam Dawn's perspective, you pretty much hit it down the head. I mean, you're going to be surrounded by weapons. You're going to have some continuity at head coach, which I think can really help. I mean, you go from a guy named... You know, Adam Gase, who was built to be an offensive juggernaut like a mastermind, and you got absolutely none of that in New York. But now that you're in Carolina, you're actually around weapons. They're actually building things up. They have a solid defense. They just got some nice things built around. So I love this move for Sam Donald. Uh, The Jets, we kind of already talked about just go ahead and move on. I still feel like they need to bring more into the team because, yeah, you get Zach Wilson or if they surprise everybody, but – it still begs the question of, well, who are they going to throw the ball to? Like, who's going to run the ball? Where's the offensive line? Where's the defense? Like, it's still so many questions that I don't think any rookie quarterback is just going to magically be able to answer. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, So let's go ahead and say how we think this impacts the draft. We already talked about with regards to the Jets. We see them getting a quarterback. But for Carolina, now that they don't have to worry about getting a quarterback at eight, what position do you think they go for? And if you have a particular prospect in mind, let me know.
1: I think that if I were them, if he's available, I would definitely go Kyle Pitts. And the reason I say this is because, if I'm not mistaken, Carolina's offensive line is not that bad. It's pretty decent, and I think that... You, if you add a guy like Kyle Pitts, it can add another dynamic to their offense that they didn't have before. Like we know the Car- Carolina's been great, has had a great history of tight ends, more specifically Greg Olsen. Why not bring in a a young guy that's a freak athlete? that can give Sam Darnold a security blanket early, and he can make plays. Like he's versatile. You can put him on the outside. You can put him in the slot. You can throw him anywhere around the field and he's gonna make plays and he's a walking mismatch. So I'll either go with Kyle Pitts or like I said, Steel. I'm all about protecting quarterbacks. So if a, if a top offensive lineman is available, I will also look for that because you could never go wrong with a hey, offensive line protection for your quarterback.
0: Yeah, for me, um I think Kyle Pitts would be a great addition. I think he could potentially be there if he gets past Miami at six. Um and then, but more for me, I'd probably go defense if I don't get a player like Kyle Pitts. Like you said, the offensive line is solid. They brought back Taylor Moden on a, um, the franchise tag, so they get at least another year of that. And so, unless you're going offensive line, I think a linebacker or a cornerback would be a great fit here. In my mock, I have them getting Michael Parsons. I mean, let's be honest, they haven't been right at linebacker since Luke Keekley retired. And I think that Mike Par- Michael Parsons, in my opinion, is the best defensive player of this class. He's the one constant that you're really getting. Undisputed best linebacker of the class. I feel like you plug him into the middle of your defense and then you are set. Um, another big position need could be cornerback because they desperately need a cornerback too. So um, potentially a Patrick Certain. If you trust the health of Caleb um, Farley, you could go in that direction. But if you ask me, I'd go linebacker. I feel like there's better cornerback depth as opposed to linebacker depth, so that's the direction that I would go in, but alright, so let's change gears, let's talk about cats who are already in the league specifically Saquon Barkley who as we know, um, is coming off of a torn ACL in 2020 Uh, upcoming rookie running back Najee Harris in a recent interview with Adam Schefter talked about Saquon Barkley and said a healthy Saquon is the best running back in the league for sure do you agree? um
1: uh- Actually And the reason I say this is because Saquon is that rare combination that you don't see of size, strength, and explosiveness. And I know it's hard for me to say this because I'm a mean, huge Dak Henry fan, but as far as every intangible and everything that you would look for in a quarterback, I mean a running back, Saquon is definitely that guy. And I think my only question is, like, I feel like with him, his production won't always show it because – the Giants' offensive line isn't that great, but to see the amount of production that he was able to produce behind a bad offensive line speaks to his talent.
0: Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I would say Saquon is the best running back as well. Like, we see guys like uh, Christian McCaffrey, who are great receivers out of the backfield, you know, they're fast or whatever. But, you know, like, in terms of every down running back, like just pounding a rock, he kind of lacks in that area. Then going to Derrick Henry. He can pound the rock all game long. We saw it. he got 2,000 rushing yards last year. But on the other hand, like he's not the best receiver out of the backfield. Dalvin Cook can do both of those things, but he's injury-prone. So you get a guy like Saquon who has all the best things of a running back in one person, like you said, behind a bad offensive line, and he still does work. I think that Saquon Barkley, when healthy, is the best running back. It's just hard because we see so many other guys like, Especially last year, we saw so many guys turn up uh, Dalvin, we saw Alvin Kamara, and of course Derrick Henry. So with football fans, it's this recency bias. We're focused on what just happened as opposed to like overall, which is the reason why people are getting on Zeke's head so much. But no, I'm in agreement with you. I think that Saquon is the best running back in the league when he's healthy. And I hope that he is healthy because I'm interested to see how the Giants offense goes. I don't trust Daniel Jones as far as I can throw him. But they do have a nice amount of weapons. So best case scenario, they're able to turn some heads. Worst case scenario, they know that they got their offense in place. They just need to change their quarterback. Right, right, let's talk Juju Smith-Schuster, who was a free agent before signing a one-year deal to return to the Pittsburgh Steelers. One of the teams that was in heavy pursuit of for him were the Kansas City Chiefs. And um, this is one thing he had to say on the Michael Irvin podcast. He said, Andy Reid was just calling me and sending me Lombardi trophy pictures like constantly. We had a good talk. So it would have been KC after the Steelers. So, Ethan, I know that... It seems like Juju really enjoys Pittsburgh and he likes being there, blah, blah, blah. Do you think that in terms of his career, will he regret not joining the Kansas City Chiefs?
1: I think so. and At least for this season. Because he is on a one-year deal and he is still fairly young, so who knows? He might decide to take his talents to KC in the following season. But at least for this season, I think he'll regret it because... I think Pittsburgh, they will be in the mix for playoff spots, but Kansas City will be in the mix for the Super Bowl. Right. And we all know that being, being a championship contending team, that's the ultimate goal for every player in the NFL, well, for most players in the NFL, To me, correct myself. And I think that, you know, I understand loyalty to the organization and loyalty to the team that drafted you, but it's also a business. Like, you can be loyal to them. But who knows, like, you can have a couple bad performances and the fans get rowdy, and next thing you know, they're cutting you or releasing you. We've seen it in the NFL and the NBA. Right. But I do think, at least for this season, Juju will regret it, especially because I I think that playing with Ben Rogersberger won't elevate his talents to what they could be. Like, playing with Patrick Mahomes, he can make everybody look great. And Juju's already a good receiver in his own right. He's not a number one. And the thing is, he won't have to be the number one in Kansas City. Tyree Hill will be. So then Juju can go back to what he was doing when Antonio Brown was in Pittsburgh. Just winning one-on-one matchups. And his numbers arise. So I think at least for this season, he'll regret it.
0: And not to mention Tyree Hill, but also Travis Kelsey. So effectively, you join that offense, and you're the third option. You are the third player that teams are trying to hone in on, which, like you said, is going to be a big boost to numbers. And so, yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I think he will regret it. I think that I figured that he was going to go back to Pittsburgh because you can tell he does love the team. He loves the city or whatever. But in terms of just your career, I think that, like you said, if you're really trying to get a Super Bowl, if you're really trying to make something out of your career, like leave a ring behind – I think that Kansas City would have been a better option. Sure, this is more likely going to be Big Ben's last year. And if you want to stay there and try to win something with him, you can go all for it. But honestly, the Super Bowl window for the Steelers is incredibly small. I mean, what other team has started a season 11-0 and they still weren't considered the best team in the league? They still weren't seen as a threat to go to the Super Bowl. Like I think that just shows you the placement of the Steelers. And if we're being honest, they're not going to have a better season Their overall roster right now is not better than what they had last year. They lost Bud Dupree. They lost um, Steven Nelson, their corner. Like, they've lost some key defensive pieces. And their offense is just getting another year older. Not to mention, right now, if the season started, I think their running back would be Benny Snell. And I'm not saying James Conner is good. But still, like, you still have to hone in on that position. So, unless the Steelers, like, have an amazing draft, I think that this is going to be a down, a very different year than last year when they went 12-4. But all right, let's go ahead and talk another wide receiver, Anthony Miller, Memphis native. We call him A-Mill. Um, so his last few years with the Bears admittedly have not been great. He was selected in the second round a few years back. But after some frustrations that he had vocalized last year, it looks like he is going to be on the move. Uh, The Bears have discussed trading Anthony Miller with a number of teams. But who do you think would be the best fit for a Mill?
1: Uh, I'm going to be honest and not biased, but I definitely would say the Titans. And the reason I say this is because he he can step into the spot that um Corey Davis just stepped down from he will be the wide receiver too. he won't have the pressure of making all the players on the team. But he's shown he can make big plays on um, for a franchise. Like especially he's Ricky, he had a lot of great flashes. I think that for whatever reason the Bears just didn't trust him. Like I could also say, you know, somebody like the Eagles maybe because they need, I feel like they need to, they can stack up on receivers. Uh, also, Las Vegas, like they can use weapons. So I feel like it's a couple, it's a number of teams that he could go to and make an impact.
0: I've been trying to rack my brain about which team I think would be a solid fit. And the you named some great ones, particularly the Eagles, just because they didn't have any cap space. So it's not like they really were in a position to add another receiver. But I would say the San Francisco 49ers, reason being, um, you like what you have out of rookie Brandon Ayuk. He led the uh, team in receiving yards, I believe. He had a solid year, but everybody on that team had injuries from the top down. People were getting hurt, and so last year you had Kendrick Bourne who stepped up, and he ended up getting a nice contract from the Patriots because of it. And I think that for the 49ers, you need as much depth as you can get. You know that Debo and Brett and Ayuk are your two guys. Well, you can put Debo in the slot and then put Anthony Miller as your wide receiver too. I think that'd be a good fit, especially because you don't really have the draft pieces this year to be able to add another wide receiver. So I think that San Francisco would be a nice fit. Um, I think that he could get a nice amount of opportunities. I think that it's a much different playing field. Because, sure, you could look at their roster and say, oh, Debo's their best receiver, but it's not as much of a distance between him and Allen Robinson. So I think that he'd be able to get some nice opportunities um, as a 49er but te- keeping things with the NFC North let's talk Aaron Rodgers who has been pretty open about being unsure of his future in Green Bay he said I said last year I didn't know if it was actually possible to be able to finish my career in Green Bay I still feel like that's kind of where we're at I don't think a lot of that I don't think a lot of that is in my hands, but we'll see as we go. So, Ethan, do you think that Aaron Rodgers will finish his illustrious career as a member of the Green Bay Packers?
1: I honestly don't think so. And the thing of it is, is Green Bay has has a history of having bad breakups with um, legendary quarterbacks, i.e. in particular, Brett Favre. And the thing is, I think Aaron Rodgers is at this point where he's like, he wants the organization to do everything that they can to help him win another championship. And Green Bay has shown reluctance to doing it, i.e., especially looking for better options at receiver outside of Devontae Adams. And when you when you pair that with the recency of like them making into NLC championship games and coming up short, it can get frustrating. And I think that Honestly, and a part of me thinks that Green Bay people in the Green Bay front office might be tired of Aaron Rodgers' antics about talking about him not being on the team in the future, so they might just give him his wish.
0: Yeah, I think that I don't think he'll end his career with the Packers either, because let's be honest, if you trade up for a quarterback in the first round, it shows that you are planning for the future. And unfortunately, if it was. If this was a Matt Ryan situation, I think it would be an easy, oh, yeah, no, he's gone. But because it's Aaron Rodgers who's really coming off of the MVP year, it makes things a lot more difficult. Um, I think that the Packers would be better suited to have him finish his career there just because Aaron Rodgers has still been able to produce. But on the other hand, you did bring in Jordan Love. You saw something in Jordan Love that you liked enough to want to hone in on and to build around. So, no, I don't think that he will finish his career there Which sucks. It's just a matter of, I think even despite his age, he'll be a player that a lot of teams would want. Like, because I think he's, what, 37, 38 now. And so, I I still see him being a player that, like, teams will pine after. Because, especially if he has another great year, how are you going to say no to Aaron Rodgers, especially if the Packers decide to move on? So... I think I don't think he'll finish his career either, but I think he'll be a really hot commodity on the free agent market. But uh, keeping with Aaron Rodgers for the uh, next couple of weeks, he is going to be the host of Jeopardy. So it begs the question: Which NFL player would you want to see host a game show, and which show? And I think the real question is: What show would you want to see Marshawn Lynch host?
1: Hello. Um. Being honest, because when you ask the question, I know he's retired, but my answer would definitely be Marshawn Lynch. Uh, but yeah, I would want to see. Honestly, I would want to see him host Family Feud. I think it would be hilarious to like see his response to like people's answers to questions. Yeah, I, I
0: definitely almost said Family Feud. But I'm going to be a little bit different. So when I was younger, I used to watch the Game Show Network a little bit more than I probably should have. And so there was a show called Baggage, which essentially it'd be singles and it'd be three contestants. And like each contestant would have a briefcase with like had their baggage, like had stuff that they, you know, their their flaws that they bring into a relationship. So long story, you did this through three rounds and then you get each piece of baggage will be bigger than the next. And then the single would have to decide if it was the decision they wanted to make. And on that show, it was some of the wildest things you would see as people's baggage. And I would just love to see Marshawn Lynch react to it. I would love to see Marshawn Lynch react to people's decisions as they gets to know them. Like it just, I would love to see him on any dating show. But I feel like baggage would just be the funniest because that show in itself was legit a hot mess. And I mean, Jerry Springer hosted it, so. I don't think it'd be too much of a drop-off, but all right, let's talk some basketball. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this week's action?
1: Top three takeaways are number one, light-skinned brothers for the W. Uh, it's hard for me saying it, hard for me to say that as a fellow member of the dark-skinned society. But, uh, yeah, Jason Tatum and, um, Zach Levine went off. Both had 50-point games. And I know Zach Levine's came and a loss, but it's the way that he was just going it will.
0: I mean, thirty nine in the first half is yeah. ridiculous.
1: And it and it's like to me it's like if they are able if they're able to get some continuity and like build some talent around it around him, they could be a dangerous team. Not necessarily a championship level team, but they could be a playoff contender team like the next two or three years.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh number two Honestly, man, I'm ready for LeBron AD to get back. Like, I'm not a Lakers fan, but I'm a LeBron fan, and I'm just ready to see them step back on the court. I know he sent out their tweets saying, that cryptic tweet kind of um, hinting in his return, but I'm ready for to see them guys back on the court. And number three, the refs are still trash. Did you see last night they gave Jason Tatum a tick for bouncing the ball after he caught it? I
0: didn't see that.
1: <laughs> yeah, like so he he knocked the ball out of bounds. Um Cat was trying to post somebody who
0: mm-hmm. Jason
1: Tatum came in and helped and he knocked the ball out of bounds and when he caught it, he caught it with one hand, he just bounced it and caught. It. And they called him they called a take for it. It wasn't even like a he was mad bounce. He was just more of a like a I'm just, like, a chill, like, we just hooping type of, like, mm-hmm. bouncing the ball on the floor. And they gave him a check for this. So, I think the NBA, during the off season they need to have some a couple conversations with these referees to get them in check.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, we've been hearing bad NBA refs literally all season. So, yeah, no, I think that it would be a really good idea to kind of get things started off about trying to get things back in order because it has been ridiculous as far as officiating. All right, let's talk our Mamba Players of the Week. Um, Out of the West, I'm going Jason Tatum. Dropped 43, I mean 53 last night. Really has just been having a great uh, last few games. It's just because the Celtics right now are not having the best year. It's been tough, but I mean, if you know anything about Kobe Bryant, his best moments came in the clutch and in the clutch, a.k.a. needing overtime to defeat the Timberwolves, he did just that, posted a double-double, like I said, 53. Had a double-double the previous game against the Knicks. Really has just been – he carried the load for his team, which that's what a Mamba does. So I'm going Jason Taylor. Um,
1: My Eastern Conference Mamba Player of the Week, I have to go with one Kevin Durant. He finally made his return, and in his return, he scored 19 points on 100% shooting from the field. Off the
0: bench, too. Uh, Off the bench, and it wasn't like he was just
1: shooting lasers. He was shooting jumpers. So that's a a tough feat in and of itself. So I got to go KD, especially just for his return and everything. Like, just getting him ready for the playoffs, I think that's the next ultimate goal. That's why they haven't really cared about who's been hurt because it's like they ultimately want to get all
0: three of those guys, to be about time to play all season. Yeah, and, and another positive thing, it's not like all three of them are hurting at one time. James Harden is going down, but they get KD back. So, it's not like, even if it has to be a rotating door for right now, they still have three of the most talented cats in the league. So, they'll be fine. All right, out of the West, my Mamba player of the week is going to be Donovan Mitchell. He's another guy who put forth some really good performances, back-to-back games. One against Phoenix, dropped 41-8-3. Then the next night against Portland in a very convincing win, dropped 37-5-4. Real talk, Donovan Mitchell has just been a really great player this year. He's been the driving force behind the Jazz's success, and I think it's about time he gets his respect. So I'm going Donovan for my Mamba of the
1: week. I almost won Donovan too, but I gotta go with the uh with the point the OG point guard of the NBA. I gotta go with Chris Paul with Chris Paul. He he's on that Phoenix team and he legit took their win percentage from like forty six percent to like seventy in his first season. And the game against Utah specifically, that's why he's my mama player of the week, because that was a big time game. And he stepped up and scored like 37. He had a vintage Chris Paul game, and they won that game. So I got to go CP.
0: Another great choice. All right. another. This is kind of a repeat performance, but my rookie mom of the week is once again going to Anthony Edwards. Rookies, I need y'all to like step a, up a little bit. Give me some diversity because I almost went James Wiseman, but even then it was kind of shaky. So I went Anthony Edwards. I mean, he's still putting together a solid rookie year. I mean, he puts up the points. It may not be the most efficiently done, but I mean, he has been the most productive rookie of this class. Not named Lamelo Ball, so I'm going uh and again.
1: Yeah, I gotta go. Giants Wiseman just for the simple fact of life. like, It's kind of like you see, it's kind of just a a revolving door of Anthony Edwards. So I'm gonna go Giants Wiseman. He had 18 and six. Yes, they lost
0: the game, but he came back and he was able to produce. All right, so let's talk some league news, starting with the truth about Paul Pierce. Now, as a Lakers fan, it's not a surprise that I'm not a Paul Pierce fan. However, even though he was, he was wilding on Instagram, you know, I, did you watch his live or did you see clips of his live?
1: I saw kills.
0: I definitely was not about to watch it. Yeah, I, I wasn't like going to watch either. But with the smoking and the beautiful women and the alcohol, it looked like he had a pretty eventful weekend. So ESPN was like, that's cool and all, but now you don't have a job. ESPN parted ways with the potential Hall of Famer shortly thereafter that his Instagram live posted. Do you think ESPN was right for terminating Pierce? <laughs>
1: Yes, because the thing of it is, is ESPN is a world-renowned franchise and company, and it's kind of in the same light of the NFL and the NBA. If you are a a figure in that company and you make that company look bad, they're going to get rid of you. And the thing of it is, is honestly, I think he would have been. First of all, he shouldn't have won live to begin with, because from what I heard, it was only like three hundred people that
0: watched this live. Are so you not surprised you know,
1: though? So I'm not, but <laughs> then let you know, like your your fame level in the in the world, like you only you only joined three hundred people. And secondly, like I think that being real, he would have been fine if it wasn't for the women. Yeah, because. We all know that it's a lot of people that has that are very um synonymous with ESPN that smokes weed, i.e. one of them being Matt Barnes. Like everybody in the world knows that Matt Barnes smokes weed. Right. You see you see videos and clips of him all the time smoking weed. And the alcohol, like you can't fault a person for taking a drink. Right. But I think where he where he crossed the line was where he had the strippers all around him. figure and go on live, which makes you to have your job the next day. Yeah.
0: Like, no. Yeah, it's a bad look. Um, it's kind of funny when you talk about he only had three people or 300 people on his live. It reminded me of Draymond being like you thought you was Kobe. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody care about fall periods. But yeah, no, um, I agree with you. I think that they should have fired him. I mean, cause it's a bad look. Like, it's always gonna come up no matter if he does try to work professionally. Like, it's always gonna come up what he did and, like, if you want to have fun, that's cool. But, like, not everything has to be broadcast on social media. And, like, that literally goes for anybody who works in a professional setting. Because it's, you're not, you can't do stuff like this. Like you say, like, if you smoke, um, okay, I, I think he lives in California, so it's technically legal. And if you want to drink, I mean, you're over 21, so go off. But if you have scantily clad women all around you, you are literally, if anything, it looked like he was begging for attention. And, yeah, I was going to say, it
1: was kind of attention-seeking. Yeah,
0: and so I guess maybe it'll make people, you know, think highly of Paul Pierce. I don't know, because I saw some, like, tweets or whatever, was like, Paul Pierce single-handedly saved his legacy with one Instagram Live, which, you know, made him see like he was cool or whatever. I still don't think Paul Pierce was cool. It's cool. I, mean, was
1: probably, no, I think he had cornball.
0: Definitely that. But it's still, I think it was really just for attention. And so now it's just... I don't know like I'm not going to say I, I'm not going to miss him on ESPN cuz most of the stuff he said was just wild but it's still just like right. it was nah it's a hard nah for me but I mean nah it just seemed like he was seeking attention and he got it he just lost his job in the process and it's not like people going to remember this a week from now people aren't going to care so what did you do all this for? Yeah no. All right, so last week we talked about the NFL hoping to bring back fans for the 2021-2022 seasons, and it sounds like the NBA is hoping to follow suit. Um, Adam Schefter announced that it is his expectation to have arenas filled to capacity last, I mean next season. So last week we asked the question of it. We thought it was a good idea, so let's kind of change gears. Do you feel like having full, full um, arenas for basketball games – will change the energy of games because some teams they do have some fans but do you feel like the return of fans are going to make basketball games more exciting
1: oh uh, yes because like basketball in a sense is a way more intimate sport with fans than the nfl because like how many how many times have you seen like clutch moments where somebody hits a shot and they turn around and they dap up a fan like Jordan talking trash to Spike Lee after he hit a spot after he hit a shot. Reggie Miller throwing up the choke symbol to Spike Lee like everybody it's a way pretty more much getting on Spike Lee. Yeah, basically, and it's like it's just a way more intimate affair. Like me personally, I know the energy that a, a fan can provide to a, a game because like I've been to several Grizzlies games. I went to the, a couple of games where they're in their prime in the playoffs and like. The energy that he the fan, the fans created in those games, is unmatched. Like, I legit lost my voice It like, two or three Grizzlies games in the playoffs. <clears throat> so, I think it'll definitely provide a different element, especially for different teams. Like, I know the Celtics have a rapid fan base. The Lakers have a rapid fan base. And it's a lot of, like, it's a lot of teams that can draw energy from the fans. Like, the Grizzlies, they're a young, they're a young team. So they, they're young and exciting, and when they make highlight plays, they draw energy from their fans. So I definitely think it'll change the way that the games are being played it's just the way that it's looked at overall.
0: Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. Um, You kind of talked about big market teams, but I think the smaller market teams would be the ones that are really helped out. Like you said, the Grizzlies. Like, they may not be a team that gets a lot of nasty broadcast games, but, I mean, their fans are passionate. You go to a Grizzlies game and people are just in it. Like it's like there's no other place they'd rather be. Similar to the team like the Bucks who don't have another real team. Portland, like so many teams that are small markets, where they don't like it's their only professional sport. So fans okay. mean so much. So yeah, I'm a with you. I think that it'll bring a lot of good energy, and I, I'm excited to see the interactions. As long as it's of course done in a safe way, I'm ex, I'm excited to see the return of it. Alright, speaking of the Bucks, let's talk Drew Holiday, who last week signed a four-year $160 million extension. Now, uh, this season, in his first year with the Bucks, uh, Holiday is averaging 12.2 points, 4.6 assists, I mean rebounds, 5.4 assists, shooting 50.8 percent from the field. That's all nice and dandy, but is that worth a cool 160?
1: Um, so, like, I think that. Excuse me. I definitely think that he deserves an extension. I don't think he deserves that much of an, that high of an, like, price tag. They. I also feel like they went high to get him into Milwaukee to begin with. Yeah, they gave him so, a lot. So, it's like, it's like you're doubling up on overpaying for a guy. And also, I don't know how old he is. I'm about to look it up, but he' Also. Okay. But, yeah, his, I'm pretty sure he's an older, like, older fella in the league. He's not young. He might be, like, in his 30s. He's
0: he's
1: like, He'll be 31 in June. Yeah, so he's a 31-year-old player, so he's up there in years. And it's like you don't know how long he's going to have left in the tank. So to pay him that much money, I think it's a bad I, I can understand it for the Bucs because, he, especially recently, he's been having a lot of productive games. But I don't know if in the future it'll be a good idea.
0: I look at it like this, is he going to be the final piece to bring you a championship to Milwaukee? I say no. And so if I'm going to give somebody that much money, I'm doing it under the anticipation of they are going to help me bring a ring to my organization. Drew Holiday is a productive player, but like you said, he's getting up there, and he's not a player who immediately makes you into a finals team. He's not the best. he's not the best player on your team. You can make a argument he's not even the second best player on your team right now. And so with all that in mind, it'd be hard to give him, him that kind of money. You, do you want to extend him? Yeah, totally. But that's a lot of money. And then this this isn't really anything to do with it. But if you look at it in terms of NFL contracts, he'd be the third highest paid player in the league. Which is wild. And he's not even the best player on his team. So the, it kind of just begs the question of like NBA and their contracts. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for him. Get your money because I'd be shocked if any other team was going to give him that much. But yeah, I wouldn't do it. Like I just wouldn't, I couldn't give a hundred mil to somebody who is not my best player. And I know in the NBA that happens more times than not, but it's still like you're, you're probably the third best player. And I don't believe that you're going to be the final piece that brings me a championship. So I, it'd be a hard no for me. But, all right, let's talk about a team that, let's be honest, is not going to win any championships anytime soon. The Minnesota Timberwolves, who currently have the worst record in the league, and that is saying something because the Rockets lost 20 straight games and they still have a worse record than them. That's wild. But it sounds like big changes are expected to be made in the Twin Cities. Um, as of right now, uh, potentially they could be looking to trade Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. Um when the season comes to a close. Do you think that the Timberwolves will be in the best position to dismantle the, their uh, wolf pack and make some changes, or do you think they should try to ride it out with their stars at least one more year?
1: I definitely think they should make they should dismantle it because the thing of it is that they've had there's Russell, he just got there this year, so I I'm surprised that they would try to trade him. Also, his trade value isn't as high as it was in the past because this year he's been injured and he hasn't been the most productive that he's used to being. Right. As far as as far as Cat, I definitely would try to trade Cat because he's a he's a mold of today's center in the NBA. He can shoot threes, he can post up. He well he can kind of post up, but he's more so he's a He's a volume stretch five that can make plays off the bounce and also defend the rim. So I definitely would look to trade those guys. More so Cat and DeAngelo Russell. And I just would try to build around Anthony Edwards. Because honestly, he's the only person on the team that really shows fight my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's weird because going into the season, I had question marks around Anthony Edwards. And he's like silenced
0: Yeah, and I think that kind of the issue with Cat is... He's been around losing since he's been with the team. And so I think that after a while, it kind of t- takes a toll on your psyche to where, like, of course you want to win, but you're just so used to losing that, like, you just don't have that fight no more. And I think that kind of goes into what Jimmy Bowler, his issue with the team. He felt like they didn't have that fight. He felt like they were immature, that they were lazy, and we're starting to see that, especially since he's been gone, because they've been a terrible organization. And so – I think that it would do both Cat and Minnesota some good for him to be traded. One, he'd be on a team that could be a potential contender. Um, There are a lot of teams who could use a center, especially like you said, because he is like almost the perfect mode of what centers in the NBA today are. So I think that that would be something um, important. And then also, if they were to trade um, D'Angelo Russell, I mean, I can understand not wanting to do it. It just depends how much of a rebuild well, – that's not the right phrasing because they've been in the rebuild forever. But how how different are you trying to make this organization? What pieces are you trying to bring in? Are you trying to bring in veteran players, or do you want to get rookies? Are you trying to do what the Oklahoma City Thunder are doing? Like, what is your overall plan? And so I think that would probably go into what they do with D'Lo. Like, but like you said, like I'm in a total grants, so I will trade Cat immediately because he, of course, will you be able to get the most value off of him. So, yeah, I I think that they should blow it up. All right, one more piece before we do a couple of debates. Um, one of the most popular names before the NBA trade deadline was Lonzo Ball. And we heard him tied to a few teams, one of which being the uh, Golden State Warriors. And apparently, the Pelicans did try to make that trade happen. They offered Lonzo Ball and a draft pick to the Warriors for Kelly Oubre. However, Uh, the Warriors declined and said they wanted to keep Oubre. Do you think that they will regret not bringing in Lonzo Ball?
1: No, and because the thing of it is, is does Lonzo Ball actually fit into their offense? Like they already have a point guard in steals. They have somebody that initiates the offense in Draymond. Like. What the Warriors need are wing players. And Lonzo, he's best suited with the ball in his hands. Yes, he's a better shooter. And he's a better catch-and-shoot player than he's been in the past. But I think that what they need are guys that can make plays. Like, when Andrew Wiggins is good and when he's on, you can tell with that Warriors team, like, it's a completely different team. And I think also, I wouldn't – I wouldn't be so quick to add Lonzo. I wouldn't have been so quick to add Lonzo either because it's like you're already in a rebuild phase. How much of how much do you want to like change the dynamic going into the future? Like we know that you're going to get Clay Thompson back, so then we know like Lonzo might have came in and been a starting two guard. Then you bring Clay in, and Lonzo comes off the bench, and we don't know how that dynamic will look. Like in my opinion, it might look it might be a better move to make next season and this season because you could bring Lonzo in and he could be the the, um, backup point guard but this season to me it makes no sense
0: yeah and plus let's be honest Lonzo after the year he's having he's not going to want to be a backup for anybody so I Mm -hmm. doubt that that will work and then kind of what you were saying about kind of wanting to change the change the tide I mean one they don't need another guard because I mean you have Steph and then Lonzo, I want to say he's a restricted free agent after this year. So, even if you were going to trade for him, you still have to give him a lot of money. Whereas, with Kelly Oubre, he already has a deal in place. So, you don't have to worry about trying to get him set. So, what's the point of bringing somebody in for a couple of months who you're not sure is going to stay on the roster? So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I wouldn't have traded. All right. So, let's do a couple of debates. So, earlier this week, the trailer for Space Jam 2 starring LeBron James came out. And it looked from what I saw, it looked interesting, but it poses the question which opposing team is better? So looking at the Monstars versus the Goon Squad, the Monstars, of course, were made up of Muggsy Books, Larry Johnson, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, and Sean Bradley. Whereas the Goon Squad, aka the opposition for LeBron is Diana Taurasi, Damian Lillard, Neka Oumake, Clay Thompson, and Anthony Davis. So, Ethan, in your opinion, which starting five is more intimidating?
1: Being completely honest, I got to go with the Goon squad because with the two, with the monsters, Stars, they honestly only had two players that were really dominant. Those are bigs. (laughs) Yeah, and it was Charles Barkley and Patrick, um, Patrick Ewing. You know, like Sean Bradley, he's like seven six, but he wasn't that great of a player. Muggsy Bowes, he was like five foot six. He had his, he had his moments, but after Michael Jordan signed him in the playoffs, he wasn't the same player. So I gotta go with the Goon Squad.
0: Yeah, I'm going with the Goon Squad as well. I mean, no disrespect to the Monstars, of course, they're great. However, I mean, Diana Taurasi what, three-time champion, literally, arguably one of the greatest women's basketball players of all time, we already know Dirty Dame is a beast, a Awumake, I mean, Candace Parker gone, so she gotta be, she's officially the number one player for my spark, so, gotta go with her, Klay uh, Thompson, when healthy, we already know, he a light, he's a light out shooter, one of the best shooters, two-step foot on the court, and then A.D. is A.D., so, no disrespect to the Stars. they were imposing in their own way. But in terms of being well-rounded in overall games, I'm also going with the Goon Squad. But alright, so let's talk about the bunch of idiots, aka what, e- what Kobe Bryant called ESPN. And honestly, after their most recent list, it makes sense. So, they released a top 25, under 25 list. And I want to get hear what you agree with and what you disagree with. Um, I wasn't, all right, I'm just going to run through the list and you let me know what you think. If you want, I can send it to you as well, but all right, here we go. They got Luca, Zion, LaMelo, Donovan, Tatum, De'Aaron, Ben Simmons, D-Book, Bam, Shai Gildas Alexander, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Ja Morant, Trey Young, Michael Bridges, DeMontis Sabonis. Aunt Anthony Edwards, DeAndre Ayton, Tyrese Halliburton, and John Collins, and then closing it out, Jared Allen, Lonzo Ball, and Collins Sexton. So, I don't really think it'd be a debate because I feel like we're both in agreement that this list is messed up. But what are, what are some what are a couple of placements that really really have you surprised?
1: For one, LaMelo Ball at three. Yeah. Like, I understand this is a recency bias thing, but LaMelo Ball isn't even the best player as far as a as far as a he really isn't the best player on this team. Like he's a he's a big contributing factor. But the thing of it is is at the end of he's not like I guess I remember seeing a state outfit like this. I was listening to a podcast and I remember that were talking about this and that and they said that when the mellow ball was playing, he was like the fifth best scorer in the fourth quarter. And that speaks to me because the thing of it is, is he's not even the primary focus as far as defenses on his team. It right. is Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, Devontae Graham. You could say um, Miles Bridges, but he he's not really that big of a uh, three offensively outside of catching lobs. But it's like, he's not even the best scorer on his team. Yes, he has a lot of highlight players, but he shouldn't be, like, he shouldn't be higher than Ja. He shouldn't be higher than none of the people that are listed directly below him. Like, why is he higher than Jason Tatum? Why is he higher than De'Aaron Fox? Why is he he
0: higher than D-Book?
1: Damn. Yeah, why are deep people Bam, Like these are guys that, and I do know it, to some degree, it's hard because a lot of those guys they're basically about to turn twenty five within the next couple months. But still, they still like, under
0: twenty
1: five. Yeah, and like Lamelo, like I'm, I'm honestly just gonna argue this case of him and Ja, because that's the biggest thing that shocked me yeah. was that he was so high on this and Ja was so low. Yeah. Ja came into the season last year. As the best player had the focus of the entire defense the whole season. And he basically was one game away from getting into the playoffs. Yeah. Versus LaMelo. Like, yes, he he's invigorated the Charlotte Hornets, but he hasn't been the sole reason. Like, even this season, Ja, he's without his second best player yeah, in yeah, yeah, Jerry Jackson. Jackson. And he's He's leading his team to three games, actually two games now above 500.
0: And I, I want to say that the team. AC
1: right now. I think so. But he's helped his team overachieve in two back-to-back seasons, whereas LaMelo, he came into a a better situation, and he just was kind of like a guy that fit in but stood out at the same time. Um. Also the disrespect for Trey Young. Like this guy was a starter in the All Star game two years ago. Like I know that his numbers and stuff aren't down are down and they aren't necessarily like where a lot of people expect their team to be. But Trey Young is a top player in this league. He's a so why is he so low? And like it's a lot of like that whole league is screwed up in my opinion. Like the only thing that they have a right to be are Luca and Zion. Like I kinda will have those two guys at one and two.
0: Yeah, all right. So I know it's kind of tough. I did send you the list for this part, but if you were doing your top five, who would you have? Cause I'd say Luca, Zion, I'd go Spider, Tatum, and then Ja. Though that would be my five. Oh wait, I forgot about D Book. Wait, dang. All right, give me a second. I forgot about D Book too. So I I would
1: have Luca Zion. Honestly I would have D book, then Spider. No, then Jason Tatum, then Spider.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, all right. So Ja would still be six though. It's better than being freaking fifteen. Um, so yeah, and then J- just
1: Ja would J- I would like Ja would probably be number ten on my list because like I just I just give you a top ten. So yeah. Luka, Zion, uh, D Book, Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell. I would have um I would have as much as I don't like him, I would have Ben Simmons at like number six. Uh
0: I would have Ben um, over Bam. Honestly.
1: I was gonna put I was gonna put Bam right behind Ben, so this way, six seven. Ben I would have And Trey Young. Ja- Trey Young
0: would be on that top ten.
1: I would have Ja over Trey Young. So Ja, Trey Young, and Ben honestly. He sniffed
0: on, but I don't have Shy. Shy deserves to be in top 10, too. I mean, he's 10 on the list, which is still kind of low. It was also wild how low they had John Collins. Like, it was weird that they had him below Tyrese Halliburton and Michael Porter Jr. to me. Like, that, and Michael Bridges. That was kind of wild. Jared Allen being at 23 was also weird. Like, this list is ESPN and their list, they just, they just, they're not it. When it comes to basketball, they really just drop the ball all the time. All right, so let's close things out with our nightly game predictions, starting off with the Toronto Raptors taking on the Cleveland Cavaliers. I got Raptors.
1: I got Raptors.
0: Los Angeles Lakers versus the Brooklyn Nets. I got Nets.
1: I got Nets.
0: Sacramento Kings taking on the Utah Jazz. I got Jazz.
1: I got Jazz.
0: Philadelphia 76ers versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. I got 76ers. I got Philly. Washington Wizards coming off of a very exciting conclusion to last night's game versus the Phoenix Suns. I got Suns. I got a
1: Phoenix.
0: Detroit Pistons versus Portland Trail Blazers. I got Blazers.
1: Portland.
0: All right. And then the Houston Rockets going against the Golden State Warriors. I got Warriors. Yeah, I got Warriors all right let's talk some wwe all right ladies and gentlemen to start off our WWE discussion for this week's episode. Here is my recap for NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver. Starting with night one, which we saw in the pre-show, Zoe Stark beat the odds and Tony Storm. Uh, Pete Dunne proves his technical dominance against Kushida. Bronson Reed punches his ticket to face Johnny Gargano on night two. Walter defends his honor and defeats Ciampa. MSK proves they're no fluke and become the new NXT Tag Champs. And Raquel Gonzalez defies the odds and becomes our new NXT Women's Champion. Overall gave night one a B plus. Moving on to night two, Killian Dane and Drake Maverick are named the new number one contenders after feeding Brizongo. Santos Escobar is gonna be feeling it tomorrow, but it's all worth it because he proved to be the undisputed cruiserweight champion. Sati Blackheart and Ember Moon retain their tag titles. Despite a hell of an athletic effort by Bronson Reed, Johnny Gargano proves why his name is Johnny Takeover, and Karrion Cross regains the title he never lost by defeating Finn Balor. And to close out the show, Kyle O'Reilly proves that he's more than just a lap dog and defeats Adam Cole in what will definitely be a match of the year candidate um, night two. I definitely give that an A. Um, overall, I went 8-2. and two. I'll take that. This just shows the disadvantages of going against my boyfriend, Santos. I'm so sorry. But, alright, so uh, my favorite match was Santos Escobar versus Jordan Devlin. Even though these are two of the most talented cruiserweights on the planet, it just showed not only their talent, but also putting a ladder in there. It's always going to make things a bit more exciting, a bit more unpredictable. And this match went so many different ways at any given moment. Like There were instances when I thought Devlin was going to win, and then instances when I thought Escobar was going to win. It really was not going to be decided until the very end, which made it such a great and spectacular match to me. Sure, there were other matches that had more hype and were more brutal, but that one really did it for me. Um, Who I felt increased their stock. I would say Bronson Reed. I mean, he had a tough performance being third in the Gauntlet Eliminator the night before. And then coming out and putting together a really strong performance against Johnny Gargano was a lot of fun to watch. I think that it just showcased just how talented Bronson Reed is, especially because prior to this, he had been coming off a few months where he was not on TV. So I think that this was a really good reminder of his ability. Um, Decreased stock, honestly, best commentary because she said a lot of things that were just like... Dude, come on. Like, first off, like, when uh, Adam Cole hit Kyle O'Reilly in the face with the monitors, like, there's glass everywhere, and there literally was no glass anywhere. And then she was just scolding the heels as if they were her children. Like, they were just going to magically stop what they are doing to listen to her. Like, I really wish Adam Cole would just look at her and just, like, shut up. Because throughout much of Night 2, that is what I said. Um, moving on to my favorite moment, it's hard to really pinpoint an in-ring moment that was just... Freaking tops for me, not because there wasn't, because overall it was a great two nights. But I would probably say seeing Mickey James do literally anything, just because everybody knows I'm a huge Mickey James fan. I was not expecting to see her, so seeing her not only be there, but to provide some commentary and just give her opinion. Like I know Beth Phoenix is like a Hall of Famer or whatever, but when it comes to wrestling, I a billion times more value Mickey James opinion and it was just really great to see her just exist um my booking decision I would have had Adam Cole hit the ref in the head with the ch- in the head with the chair because when the ref was getting on his nerves and when he got up to hit him I was like hit him with I was like hit him hit him with the chair and he smacked him but it it wasn't it wasn't the same it would have been much more impactful feels with the chair and I know it really makes no difference on any bearing of the night or the future, but it was just been so fun to see him hit that man in the head with the chair and deal with the fine later. Uh, My WTF moment was Adam Cole's new entrance music. Like, I understand Undisputed Era has broken up, ripped thoughts and prayers, but, like, this just it just didn't fit like there was there's no real part for the Adam Cole baby there's no part for the boom like maybe in a few months like once the music is like we're just more adjusted to it it'll come in but it just did not fit the vibe and it just it completely threw me off because when it started playing I was like is this an extension of Kyle's music but then Adam came and I was like oh they they're really trying to change everything, and I don't like it. A very close second was Io Shirai jumping off of the skull because once again, how did you get up there? Um, and then my show grade was an A minus. Like I said, B plus night one, um, A night two. So pretty much an A minus is in between. Honestly, it was a great two nights of wrestling. Pretty much just NXT does what it always does, and it stands and delivers. And I'm really excited to see how things shake out with Raquel Gonzalez. Being the new NXT Women's Champion, I'm excited to see the future of Io Shirai. Um, how that works out with Dakota Kai? Will there be some jealousy storylines there? Of course, Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole, how does that go? Who's going to be the next contender for the uh, Cruiserweight Champion? Even though Santos Escobar can hold it forever, and I'd be perfectly fine. Like, it's just so many different things that I am excited to see build upon. And um, I can't wait for next Tuesday. I cannot wait to see how it all shakes out. But I right, to close out this bad boy, let's move on to the next big event of WrestleMania week. And that is WrestleMania itself. The granddaddy of them all, which of like TakeOver and the year before, is going to be broken up into two nights. So starting off with night one, the tag team turmoil match to determine the number one contender for the women's tag team championship. Uh, we got Naomi and Lana versus the Riot Squad versus Carmella and Billy Kay versus Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke versus Tamina and Natalia. Personally, this is a match that honestly it could go any way. Like it's it's not just one team that I think is like a clear cut winner. Um, I think that at least two of the three teams are pretty equally matched. The only reason why I'm gonna go Naomi and Lana is just because I feel like they would. I guess make the best champions if they were to become champion I think that Lana is getting a much needed boost for her career because she is paired with Naomi who could be in the contention for the Raw Women's Championship but that's a conversation for later um, and I think that it would just provide new life to the titles especially because I guess if you want to look at it most of the titles are held by heels so this could be an opportunity to kind of bring some you know to glow up pun intended the championship picture um so yeah i'm going naomi and lana but you know i'd be perfectly fine seeing carmella and billy k do it if not for any other reason but i freaking love billy k uh moving on to another tag team match raw tag team championship the new day versus aj styles and almost i almost picked aj and almost here but i'm gonna go with the new day if not for any other reason but even if they were to put the titles on aj and almost it's like Okay, you did it. Now what? Like they don't really have chemistry together. We don't really know what almost is going to be in the ring yet. I think this is literally just a match to have AJ have something to do as opposed to really banking on the future of them as a tag team. And I know that Vince doesn't really care about tag teams, but I mean, still Uh, moving on to Seth Rollins versus Cesaro as Seth is. Reminded us repeatedly how it's supposed to be pronounced. Um, I have Cesaro. I mean, Seth Rollins really doesn't need the win. I think that uh, Cesaro has been having a really great last few months, really showcasing his ability and his talent. And what better way to do that than to defeat one of the best uh, WrestleMania competitors of our era in Seth Rollins? And plus, I don't think it'd be a really big hit to Seth either, just because like we said, Seth is Seth, so I think he'll be able to bounce back. And I'm, I think he'll be able to. If anything, maybe this could be a way to recruit Cesaro into his, you know, his little uh his menagerie. That'd be cool. Uh Steel Cage match, Shane McMahon versus Braun Strowman. Honestly, I don't care. But I'm gonna say Shane McMahon, if not for any other reason, but kinda like how um Kevin Owens lost in a steel cage match against Braun Strowman a few years back where he won I mean Kevin won because he was thrown off the cage and I could see that being Shane. Just because Shane, you know, he likes to jump off of things. So, what's the difference with getting thrown off? Uh, next up, Bad Bunny and Damian Priest versus The Miz and Morrison. Even though, on paper, you would think that, you know, Miz and Morrison win because, you know, wrestling ability. Of course, Bad Bunny and Damian Priest are going to win. If not for any reason, but I mean, like, cash. That's money. Damian. Damian Priest, he's an up and coming guy, which is great and all, but Bad Bunny is a multi-platinum selling musician. Can't tell you a song of his besides Booker T, and I really only found out about that at Royal Rumble. So, but I mean, he's a really famous guy. You know, WWE loves capitalizing on popular culture, so he's gonna—they're gonna win. Uh, WWE Championship, Bobby Lashley defending his title against Drew McIntyre. Um, I got Bobby. Don't get me wrong, I'm picking Bobby. But this is one of the matches where, like, I would not be surprised if they put the title back on Drew. But if they did, it would just beg the question of, okay, so why break up the hurt business or at least take out Shelton and Cedric? Why create all this chaos just for it to go back to, uh we're just going back to Drew? Like, I really want to make sense. Not saying that everything Vince McMahon does makes sense, but I think that Bobby is going to be champion for a little while longer. Um, and so he defends his house successfully against Drew McIntyre. And then the real main event, the SmackDown Women's Championship, Sasha Banks defending her title against Bianca Belair. We all know I love the EST of WWE. I'm a huge Bianca Belair fan. I think that she is amazing. I want her to have the world. By the way, happy belated birthday because her birthday was on the 9th. With all that being said, I'm going to pick her to win because of the hype and the 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 backing behind her like so many things like the stars are really aligning for her so I'm gonna pick her but I personally would not have her be women's champion right now I would keep it on Sasha and just have Sa- have Bianca kind of get back to that the toughness not to say she's not tough at all but you know what I mean like kind of the I don't I don't give a damn days of NXT I like would make her more of a heel to where she's like okay I see playing nice doesn't really work so this is what you're gonna get like I, w- I think that that would be the best way to book it so I wouldn't have Bianca win, which is very sounds very blasphemous, and it is because when I watch WrestleMania, I'm definitely going to wear to buy Bianca Bell wear a Bianca Belair shirt, and I'll be happy if she wins, and I'm picking her to win. But if it was me booking it, I would have her lose. All right, moving on to night two, starting with the Women's Tag Team Championship, uh, Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax defending their titles against the winners of the tag team turmoil match. I said Naomi and Lana, and in a match that could be good, depending on how much time it gets. But, I mean, then again, this WrestleMania. is probably going to be on for five hours. Um, I'm going to go Naomi and Lana. I think they become the new women's tag team champions. Maybe they can do a little something different with it. I think that a big reason why is just because I feel like it's going to be some dissension between Naya and Shayna. We've been seeing it already. And then with Reginald there, he could end up costing them the title. Maybe do something with that. I'd, I'd be interested to see a one-on-one match with them. Uh, United States Championship, Matt Riddle, because I'm not just calling him Riddle, versus Sheamus, a match that was kind of just thrown together. Two very talented guys in the ring, a match that I think that will be good. I think it will be end up actually be one of the better matches um, on the night two card. But I got Matt Riddle. Nothing against Sheamus, but it's just like him winning it just wouldn't do anything. So, yeah, definitely that. And um, moving on, Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn. Another match I was kind of thrown together last minute, but hey, it's got a pop culture reference, you know. Logan Paul is there, and I, honest to God, could not tell you what Logan Paul is famous for, but he's famous. Um, I'm going to Sami Zayn. He has taken a lot of losses since losing the Intercontinental Championship, and I think that he needs a win. I think that if you want his conspiracy theory gimmick, his the, the track that he's on now, the documentary that, honestly, I would watch it. They actually put it together. I think that he needs a win and I think that this is a big win. Like I said, the match was pretty much thrown together, so it's not like it's gonna really, you know, destroy Kevin's reputation if he loses it. I mean, hell, what reputation really is there? Like we know Kevin Owens is a badass. We know that he's great. This match was just kind of giving them both something to do, and I think that Sammy really needs to win more. So I'd go Sammy. Uh moving on to the Aaron Connell Championship, Biggie versus Apollo Cruz. Um uh, this is a tough one. One, I'm 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 getting sick of seeing this match. Not because, you know, Apollo and Big E aren't talented. It's just like, all right, I get it. Especially because there's not a stipulation. It's just going to be another match. And they just did this at what fast lane. But I'm going to go Big E. I feel like you can do more with him as Intercontinental Champion. I don't see him being thrust into the uh, Universal Championship title picture anytime soon, or at least not for the next few months because of, uh, what I'll get to with the Universal Championship. Um, so because of that, I think that they keep it on Big E, get him some new, um, contenders, possibly a Jey Uso. Maybe Shinsuke Nakamura, uh, probably even Seth Rollins could really get into the mix, which I think would be really cool. But I think that they're going to start kind of winding down on Apollo and Big E and, uh, keep Big E with the title. All right, moving on to Randy Orton versus The Fiend. I'm very excited for this match, and I can't tell you why because it's not like we haven't seen this a few times before. But I mean, anything Fiend slash Bray Wyatt related is just really, really interesting. <laughs> like it's stuff you 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 can't explain, but you just you're really captivated by it. And I'm really captivated by captivated by the Fiend. Randy Orton is one of my favorite wrestlers ever. And I'm excited to see how they work out this next chapter of history. Their last WrestleMania match, the, uh, not was it the House of Horrors? Whatever. It was gross. Like, it was weird. Like, it, it was really weird. And not, like, in a good way, like the stuff flashing the ring order. But I think that this time it will be a lot better. I'm interested to see how, you know, the Freddy Krueger look the presence of um Alexa Bliss really goes into it. like I'm, I'm interested to see how it shakes out but yeah um I don't I didn't get my pick Bray Wyatt uh definitely if not for any other reason but like you just brought him back you want to keep showing him as a dominant figure I guess to anybody besides Goldberg not gonna forgive you for that Vince all right Raw Women's Championship Asuka defending her title against Rhea Ripley, a match that I'm so happy to have gotten because I have been banging the drum for this for several months, even before Royal Rumble. Rhea Ripley should win this match. I think that Asuka is amazing. I think that Asuka is one of the most talented women to step foot in the WWE ring. However, when she is champion, they literally have no clue what to do with her. And this past reign has shown that. And it sucks that she has been thrust into so many unnecessary storylines like the one with Lacey Evans, the really confusing one with Charlotte and Lacey and her dad. Like so much stuff that had nothing to do with her own title. And maybe it's just time to realize she's not meant to be champ. Maybe she's just a better challenger and that is okay. But let's see how it goes with Rhea Ripley. I think that Raw needs some new blood, especially at the top. Um, Charlotte. We all know I love Charlotte. She's my all-time favorite women's wrestler. Even though I love you too, Mickey. And Bianca is rising. However, we, we need some new blood. We do. We need some new blood at the top. And I think that Rhea will provide that. Rhea is incredibly talented. And I think that with her becoming the new Raw Women's Champion, it makes things exciting. Because now you are getting these matchups you really haven't seen before. Her and Naomi. Her and Anaya. Her and Shayna, which we have seen before. But it was a really good match. Um, Dana Brooke. Mandy Rose. The different women on the roster. I'm excited to see them get those chances. And plus, who's to say we can't see her and Oscar go at it again. So, Yeah gotta be real and then finally the universal championship Roman Reigns defending his title in a triple threat against Edge and Daniel Bryan I was excited for Roman and Edge even though I definitely had my opinion set in stone as to who should have won that match but Daniel's here now and never been a fan of Daniel Bryan not gonna start today and even though I don't take away anything from him he is a tremendous talented wrestler one of the best technical wrestlers of all time I just could have done without him in this match and despite him me not being a fan I know it's going to be a fine it's going to be a great match but it does change my predictions a bit it makes it a bit more complicated but um even though some predictions I've seen have gone in a different way actually a good amount of them have I'm going Edge. I think that with Daniel there, sure, this could be his last WrestleMania and he wants to go out one more try at the top. But I mean, you're cool. But wrestling fans have waited, what, 10 years since Edge has held a championship? A championship that admittedly he did not lose on his own. He was not beaten for it. His health forced him to relinquish that title. And I think that the try-hard underdog Daniel Bryan just can't trump the nostalgia of Edge. And I think that by putting Daniel in, it will allow Edge to win this match and do so in a way that makes Roman look strong because I don't think Roman's going to be involved with the defeat. And Daniel Bryan gets a great little performance or whatever, but it's superseded by Edge. Sure, you can make the argument he's a bit older. This is what happens. Older guys winning championships, blah, blah, blah. I totally understand that argument, but I think that this time is different because with Edge coming back, I feel like he will be somebody who does defend his title consistently. I don't think he will be a Brock Lesnar. I don't think he'll be a Goldberg. Like, I feel like because he took, had so much time taken away from being in the ring, I think that he's going to have a passion for it. He's going to want to be there as much as he possibly can. And so – like I said, unlike other older guys who have won the championship, I think that Edge would be a rightful, independable champion, even though I know he won't be better than Roman has been since Summer – I mean, not SummerSlam, whatever came after SummerSlam because he's been freaking amazing. But, yeah, those are my WrestleMania predictions. Please let me know what you think. And thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for a school sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Uh, previous episodes are our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. This is my last episode, more than likely, being filmed in Memphis before I move. So, I'm excited. I'm excited to brand that we can branch this podcast out to different territories all across the nation. But thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys so much for your support, and we'll see you all next time.